0: Now, a word that I just used in the prayer there was the word redeem, and we use, or um, a word that we're going to talk about this morning is redeemer. Now, I wonder, kids, uh, you probably don't use the word redeem on a regular basis. I wonder if any of the kids might know what the word means. What's what does what does redeem mean? I'll give you a moment to think about it. Any takers? All right, that's fine. It's not a word that we use very regularly, is it? We kind of know what it means, but uh, when you, it's one of those words that you know kind of what it means, but then when you go to use it in more detail or, or, uh, or somebody asks you for a definition, it's a little bit harder to, to nail down what the meaning is. I'm going to give you a little bit of an example. Well, maybe let me give you a definition first. It's, it's the idea of freeing or releasing someone or something from bondage through a, a payment or a claim. So uh, that's a bit of a complicated definition. Let me give you an example of what it, it might look like to redeem something. If I go over the road to Lazaro's tomorrow and I want an apple, I can take them and I can give them my money and you, through the payment of the money, I can redeem an apple. All right, So in that case, I would be redeeming the apple from the bondage of the shop, so to speak. <laughs> uh, and, and, the, and the way that I could do that is through a claim made through pay, a purchase, paying for something. But it's not always through paying for something. For instance, I might, have a, I might have a voucher for an apple. So I'm not actually paying for it, but if I walk in with my voucher, I, have a, I can make a claim on an apple because of my voucher I'd redeem it I would be a redeemer of the apple but if I never if I even if I had my voucher and I never went then the the apple would still be there but it would be still at the shop it wouldn't be redeemed in this chapter of Ruth chapter 3 we're introduced to the idea of a redeemer and in in fact it's called a kinsman redeemer or the NRV translated it as guardian redeemer and if you've been around Christian circles for a while you've probably heard this idea of a redeemer and potentially a kinsman redeemer but I'll wager although you might get the outlines um, it might not be something that you're overly familiar with so we're going to talk about it more this morning and one of the reasons why it's important for us to talk about it is because redemption is one of the words that we use when we talk about the gospel There's some big categories that we use, like as we talk about facets of the gospel, we talk about propitiation or atonement. I'm going to use big words. You know, that idea of uh, atonement or propitiation, uh, justification and reconciliation. But probably the fourth big aspect that we use to talk about the gospel, our salvation in Jesus, is redemption, redeeming. And that's what we're going to talk a bit more about this morning. And if you can understand redemption... You can have a deeper knowledge of what Jesus Christ has done for you. You can get redemption. And so that's my prayer for you this morning. We're in the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is a is four, It's only a short book. It's four chapters long. Let me give you the quick catch-up, you know, like at the start of an episode of a TV series where they, they give you the five-minute snippet of what happened in the previous episodes. We're in a place called Israel. Um it's, it's not the same thing as the, as the current modern secular state in, in the Middle East, but it's connected. Similar land, place, similar people. So we're in Israel before King David is on the scene, but it's after the conquest of Canaan by the Israelites. And so the story is happening around the time of the Judges, the book of Judges. There's a bloke named Elimelech and his wife, Naomi. They have two sons. But there's a famine in Israel, and so they go to the neighbouring nation, Moab, to find food. And so they kind of temporarily settle in Moab. While they're in Moab, Elimelech dies. And so the two sons, they marry Moabite wives, but then after a little while, the two sons die. So we end up with Naomi, and she's got two kind of ex-daughter-in-laws who are Moabites. And Naomi hears, okay, there's food in Israel again. The Lord has visited his people with bread. And so she knows it's good for her to go home to her people uh, and go back to her hometown. But she also cares for her two ex-daughter-in-laws. And so she wants the best for them. And so she says to them, look, you should go back to your homes of origin, your families of origin, and hope that you can find uh, uh, husbands in the future. Because in this ancient Near Eastern context, your family, your security came along with your connection to family. So there wasn't police forces, there wasn't pensions, there wasn't healthcare system, um, uh, there wasn't businesses where you could go and get employment as a job. You know, all of these things for, for life and security were tied up with your belonging to a family unit. And so Naomi says, look, you girls should go back to your original family units and in the hopes of marrying and starting a new family, seeing as your husbands have died. But Naomi is going back to Israel. But Ruth says, no, I'm not going back because I'm going with you. I'm going to stick with you and care for you. Naomi is this older widow. She is very vulnerable in the scheme of things. And Ruth says, I'm going to stick with you. I'm going to go along with you. I'm going to care for you. And in fact, so much so, she's going to ditch. She's going to ditch her kind of identity as a Moabite in the hopes of becoming an Israelite, part of God's people. And that means taking on the Lord God as her god ditching Chemosh the Moabite god and taking on the Lord Yahweh as Naomi is uh, trying to send her daughters home she prays for them may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me the Lord grant that you may find rest each of you in the house of her husband initially Naomi thinks the best way to do that is to send them back to their home families and she will go to Israel But as I said, Ruth refuses to go and she comes with Naomi. They come back to Bethlehem, which is Naomi's hometown, Elimelech's hometown, right when the barley harvest is starting. And one of the ways that God provided for the poor and needy in ancient Israel was that he gave them a law that said, you can't harvest everything in your fields. You need to leave a little bit behind for the poor to come and to eat. And so they'd come and collect that and they'd be called gleaning. So Ruth, as a poor widow, along with uh, Naomi, they need to survive in, in this world, they need food to live on, and so Ruth goes out gleaning, so that they can make ends meet, so they've got something to eat, and Ruth happened to come to a field from a bloke named Boaz, and Boaz is a great guy, because the good guys come from Bethlehem, that's right. So, Boaz meets Ruth, at his field, and he fo- he's heard about her, and he generously provides for her, even though she was a foreigner, because of the way that she has served Naomi, he's, she's proved her loyalties, um, and and Boaz is a, is a distant relative, he's, he's serving her, he's been generous to her, he gives her extra food, he lets her come and work among his workers, and in fact, he prays this for Ruth, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So he's praying. And, and in fact, he, he fulfills this prayer partly himself already by the way that he uh, gave her great privileges to work among her workers and the way that he told his workers to leave a bit extra behind for Ruth to pick up and the way that he uh, let her join his staff lunches So Boaz was looking out for Ruth and even fulfilling the prayer that he had prayed with his own actions. Because food security was a big deal for these people, these ancient agrarian people. Basically, grain was like having money in the bank. If you could have grain in the pantry, it was like having money in the bank. And so that's why Ruth was out trying to glean so they could make ends meet. And so we left the story last week with Ruth being generously provided, basically like a minimum wage through the amount of food that Boaz was leaving or giving to her. And um, we left it with basically Naomi being surprised at the amount that Boaz had given them, but them still being widows. So they're getting there, making their ends meet, but they're still widows, there's still a bit of uncertainty for them for the future. They're set up for the next little while, but there's no security long term. And so, we're left wondering if these prayers that we've been reading, are these prayers going to be fulfilled? Is God going to answer these prayers? Will Ruth find rest in a new home with a new husband? Will Ruth receive a full reward for her loyalty and labour? By the end of chapter 2, these haven't been answered. There's a bit of uncertainty in the air. So, let's look at this chapter in a bit more detail and let's see what happens. Well, first thing, we see that God is answering prayer through planning. God is answering prayer through planning. I don't know if you've ever noticed that before in this book. God is answering prayer through planning. As this heading would suggest, these prayers will be answered, but as is often the case, not in the way that you might expect. Not in the way that you might expect. Sometimes when we pray, we pay no heed to what it might take to receive what we ask for. You know, we go out and we ask the Lord for something in our prayers, but then we might actually be unwilling to do anything about receiving what we ask for. Have you ever noticed that? You, you ask for something, but then you don't do anything about trying to actually take hold of what you have asked for. It's basically asking without faith, isn't it? It's saying, oh, I'll ask this thing, but I won't, I won't actually go after it. And this is not the case for Naomi. She prayed for the well-being and blessing of Ruth, and now she sees an opportunity to make it happen, and so she takes steps. What does she do? She said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? So, not only is she uh, answering her prayer, Naomi also knows that it's her obligation as a relative to provide and care for Ruth. She's all the family that Ruth has and she knows that she will not always be there. And so, even though Ruth is lovingly committed to basically being Naomi's carer in her older years, Naomi's probably thinking, well, what happens next? This, this can't go on forever. Ruth needs some, you know, her future taken care of as well. And so she's come up with a plan. Naomi sees an opening. Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. So so Boaz has a reputation for being a great bloke already. And here he is as a relative of Naomi and Ruth's dead husbands. Just as Naomi had an obligation to Ruth due to to family connection, so too Boaz as a family connection has some obligation toward Ruth and Naomi. And Naomi wants to take advantage of that. And so we're at the barley harvest. Once they've brought in the grain, they've cut it down, you need to free the barley from its packaging. It comes packaged in little husks, and so you have to go and winnow it to get the barley out of the husks. And that's what Boaz was doing, they've they've cut down the fields and he is winnowing the barley. But as they did this, they would camp out in the field. So you could work hard and then you didn't need to worry about walking back into town because after all, they didn't have cars and horses and and those were, were like unheard of. Donkeys were a real luxury. So basically, you had to walk everywhere. So if you were out in your fields outside of the town working hard all day, you may as well just camp out there roll out your swag, so to speak, and stay there. Plus, if you've, (laughs) as I said before, grain is like money in the bank. If you've got piles of grain sitting there out in the open, well, you kind of want to hang around and make sure that nobody else nicks off with your grain. So that's what they're doing. They're winnowing out at the threshing floor and um, Boaz is out there. And Naomi says, get dressed up, all nice and pretty, then go and find Boaz when he's in a really good mood after he's had a good feed from a long day's work and he's ready to hit the sack and then lie down next to him and wait. You see, Naomi is trying to play matchmaker trying to get them set up together. She says, when he lies down, observe the place where he lies and go and uncover his feet and lie down and he'll tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. Now, commentators have suggested that at this stage Ruth may have still been wearing her her mourning garb, mourning as in um, lamenting her dead husband's her dead husband, and so it's possible that at this stage, basically Ruth is saying, "Take off the your the garb that you've been wearing, signifying that you're mourning for your dead husband, and basically show the world that you are eligible, that you're on the market, so to speak, that you're available." Uh, and so she, she's getting Ruth to dress up nicely, making it look like she's an eligible bachelorette, and then go and visit an eligible man. And she's got, told to go down and lie at Boaz's feet and uncover them. And here is where wild speculation ensues. What what's going on here? Why, why? Is it normal for women to go and lie at men's feet and uncover them in the ancient Israel? We don't know. This doesn't sound... We don't have records of this going on anywhere else. Is this some kind of weird ploy from Naomi to get Boaz's attention? it's It's a bit confusing. And just what is meant by uncover his feet? Because in Hebrew, feet can basically mean everything from the hips down. Sometimes it's used for like legs. The same word is used for legs, So, is she just uncovering literally his feet or, like, half his body? Like, is this a euphemism for something that we, you know, something else that happens? And, yeah, words like uncover and lie are very closely associated with sexual intimacy in the Bible. And so, there's a, there's a bit of a question mark here as we're reading this. We're like, what is Naomi trying to set up? What is going on here? Is she, what is she expecting to happen? Because it certainly seems ill-advised to send a pretty lady to hop, basically, in bed with a man in the middle of the night. Like, many of us would have our alarm bells ringing if our mother-in-law told us to do that. So we certainly feel a bit of tension rising in the story at this point. What is going to happen? Naomi seems absolutely sure Boaz is the man. He knows what to do. So go, and whatever he tells you to do, do it. So Ruth says, okay, I'll go along with it. And we'll come back in a moment to pick up that story and see what happens next. But before we move on, let me just circle back to what I said with that heading. God is answering prayer through planning, right? Right? Naomi is actively seeking the fulfillment of the prayer that she has asked God for. And so, my encouragement to you is, if you're asking God for something, don't be passive in your prayers. Don't just ask God for something and then sit back and expect God to dump it in your lap. Now, it may be, God may dump what you ask for in your lap, but there's a certain level of faithlessness that is, is sitting back and not actually actively working for what you have asked God for. So, if if you ask for the salvation of your kids, then teach them the gospel. Do you pray for a godly government? Then vote well and engage in the political process in such a way that you can actually have an effect on what you're asking for. Now, sure, there's going to be limitations on what we can do. And this is part of what our prayers are for, is to ask for the things that we know that we cannot provide for ourselves. We ask the one who can provide to provide for us. But this should not stop us actively seeking what we are asking for under God. For you who are single, do you pray for a wife or a husband? Then go and look for one. Far too many men and women in the church who desire marriage are today single because they will not act on their prayers and they wait passively. Now, this isn't a comment on uh, Flooding Creek specifically. This is something that I've noticed across several churches that I've been involved in. It's a pattern in the church culturally today. But what about other things? What about you want a deeper connection to Jesus? Well, then seek Him. Don't just pray for a closer connection. Seek it and see that God might answer your prayer through planning and acting on it. Do you pray for the salvation of the lost? Then go out to the lost and take them the news of the salvation that comes to them in Jesus. In John, one of John's letters, it says, this is the confidence that we have towards Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. So if God has promised something for His people, and then you have prayed that request to Him, then go out and take hold, and confidently, what, what God has said He will give you. Plan for it move towards it. If we know that God will grant prayers in accordance with His will, go out in anticipation of receiving them. When you need work, what do you do? You pray, for you, you pray that the Lord would provide for your family and then you go and apply for a job. When you want spiritual growth, you must be willing to do the hard work that brings spiritual growth. If you want to be freed from porn, then you take steps to cut it out of your life. You pray for it and then you act. If you want to stop being lazy, then you pray that the Lord would help you and then you start working harder. One of our famous prayers, the Lord's Prayer, we pray, give us this day our daily bread. But we don't just pray that and then not doing anything about it. We pray, give us this day our daily bread and then we go plough the field. Figuratively speaking, we go and we earn a living or we go and make the food, whatever. We pray and then the Lord answers our prayers often through us actively seeking out the answer to that prayer. But as we keep moving through the story, we see that God answers prayer through redemption. God answers prayer through redemption. Coming back to this idea of redemption. If we look at the passage from chapter 3, verse 6, uh, Ruth does what her mom's mother-in-law says. She went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. As I was alluding to before, this is a scene that is pregnant with fertility. It's the harvest time. Ruth is now available. She's a younger woman. She's freshly washed and perfumed, approaching an eligible man in the night and lying down next to him. And so, in some sense, we're wondering, you know, what's going to happen? Their righteousness is, in some sense, being tested. Will, what will Boaz do? Is he really going to be a man of integrity at this moment? What are we expecting that Ruth will do? Their characters, so far in the book, have been really built up and really held high And so, we're waiting with anticipation to see, are they going to hold true at this kind of climactic moment? At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. You know, if you wake up in the middle of the night, uh, in the ancient Near East, uh, you and there's somebody at your feet, you're going to get a bit of a surprise, but you can't just whip out your phone and turn on your torch to see who it is, <laughs> you know, you, you've got no light, and so you're going to call like, who's there, what are you doing, what's going on? And so Boaz is surprised, who's at the bottom of, at my feet in the middle of the night? And so Ruth answers, and she answers with this call, I am Ruth, your servant, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. So, she is making this plea, this pledge, almost a prayer to Boaz to do what? To redeem her, to protect her, to take her in. This is, in essence, a marriage proposal from Ruth saying, will you please take me into your household? And so, this puts an obligation back on Boaz, right? It's asking, you know, are you, not only right now is there the question mark like, Um, you know of what are you going to do are you going to take advantage of a pretty lady uh, out with you in the middle of the night but now he has this other question mark which is are you going to fulfill your family obligations are you going to fulfill your duty towards a person in need in, in your extended family will he spread his wings over ruth this is kind of amusing this is kind of amusing because um we've got you know, Ruth asking for him to do something that he had already kind of said was that she had done well. So he had prayed and said to her, oh, sorry, yeah, he had prayed for her saying, you know, may you be rewarded for coming and taking refuge under the Lord's wings. And then she says, will you spread your wings over me? So in some sense, she's, she's trying to make the connection with Boaz. Me coming and taking refuge under the Lord also means me finding refuge With you. She's asking Boaz to fulfill his prayer that she would be rewarded for her loyalty to God and his people. She's come for refuge under God, and in so doing, coming for refuge with Boaz. And so, what will Boaz do? We need to pause here for a moment and ask the question: well, what is this idea of a redeemer? In the in the this is. It's kind of awkward for us in Ruth because there's two competing ideas that are coming together from, the, from the earlier in the Old Testament. So, under the Old Covenant law, there was a requirement that, um, there, was, there was a couple kind of provisions for people. One was, if you fell on hard times, and let's say you had to sell your land, or you had to sell yourself into slavery, then you could have a relative who could come and buy you back, buy you out of slavery, buy your land back, because the land was an inheritance from God. And so if you fell on hard times, you had to sell your land, the land had to return to the family somehow, either every 40 years at the year of Jubilee, or a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer, could come along earlier in the peace and buy the land back. And so this is seems to be something of this idea going on here with, with Ruth and Naomi, needing a kinsman redeemer to come in and step in and help them out financially in a hard time. But there's another law that was in the Old Testament, which we, we call the Levirate Law, which was about carrying on the family name. And so what would happen is, if uh, a man married a lady and then the man died, then the man's brother, so not a relative of the lady it was the man's brother was supposed to take her into his house and raise up children, right? So, if the man uh, and his wife, let me recap that. Man married a lady, and then if he died before they could have children, then the man's brother was to take her into his house and to raise up children, to provide children for his dead brother. So, this was a way in which the, the, it's not genetics, I know that genetically speaking we understand that the father will not be the dead brother but in terms of the name and the lineage and the passing on of the inheritance it needed to stay within the family and this was also a way that the lady was provided for so that she would have people to look after her in her old age and so there was a there was an obligation for the brother of his his, of yeah a brother's widow to marry her and to provide for her and in fact if he would not fulfill his obligations, then there was consequences, that he would be looked down upon, that he would be dishonored. But Boaz is not a close relative, in the sense that he's not a brother of uh, Ruth's ex-husband, not ex-husband, deceased husband. So, Boaz isn't immediately required, like, to fulfill this, but there is still the idea, the implication is that relatives, family members, should do their duty and look out for the widows of their deceased relatives. And so that seems to be what Ruth is playing on here. Ruth is basically saying, you are a relative of ours. You've, you can come in and step in and you can redeem us. You can make a claim on us and help us. And Boaz says, I will follow through. He said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You've made this last kindness greater than the first You have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. So Boaz prays another prayer of blessing and he says, yes, I will follow through. And he seems to recognize that he's no spring chicken. And so he's like, well, thank thank you for coming to me rather than chasing the young men who are probably more Ruth's age. So, he's recognizing there's probably other options for Ruth to pursue, but as the story has already played out for us, we know that Boaz is a worthy man. She shouldn't just go chasing the hottest guy, she's chasing the guy who, who's proven his worth, who is a righteous man, is the right man for the job. Now, he might be overselling it here a little bit, because Ruth, being a Moabite, she was a foreigner, and probably not looked upon as good family uh, marriageable prospects, a foreigner and a, a lady who'd been married previously. So, Boaz might be overselling it, but the point being that he is grateful that she has come to him and sought him to come into his household. So, he, yeah. And Boaz follows through with his pledge. This is, I will, I will do for you what you ask. He will fulfil her desire. But there's a hitch It's not going to go over smoothly because it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. There seems to be a nearer relative who would also have a claim if he wanted to take it up. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, then good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lay down until the morning. So there's a bit more tension in the air now. So Boaz is going to do the right thing. Boaz is going to do the right thing by Ruth in the middle of the night, he is going to do the right thing by Ruth in times of being her redeemer and her provider, but he's also going to do the right thing by the law. He knows that there is formal structures in place and that he needs to go and do things by the book and so he's going to try and get this issue resolved, this barrier between him and fulfilling what Ruth has asked him for. As we read about the redemption of Ruth, it reminds us about how God is our redeemer. There is a real sense in which we are like Ruth. Uh, we can allegorize for a second. We've got to be careful with allegory in the Bible because it's easy to overdo it. But there's a real sense in which the church, is the, which is the bride of Christ, has, needs to be redeemed by her husband, Jesus. The, the bride of Christ is, did not come with like gifts and and wealth and the bride of Christ came dressed in rags with nothing and Christ saves his church Christ saves his people he redeems her by laying down his own life for his bride God Redeems us. And as we read in Titus before, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. God redeems His people. He is a redeemer like Boaz, but even better, the redeemer par excellence. He is the best redeemer that we could ever hope for. Why? Because He is God Himself in human flesh who came into the world to save His people from the destitution that we were in when left to our own devices. We turn away from God. We rebel against God. But if you would put your faith and trust in Him, he will save you. He will bring you into his household. He will give you all the blessings of God, right? God, the eternal one, the, the holy one, the righteous one, the, the, the God who is love. When you come to him, when you are brought into his, his house, you receive all these blessings. You receive a great inheritance. In the last section, we're going to see that there is sometimes still waiting for Prayer to be answered. They're still waiting for prayer to be answered. So Boaz has said, Yes, I will follow through, yes, I will redeem you. So Ruth lay at his feet until morning, but arose before anyone could recognize another, and said, Let it not be known that the wom that a woman came to the threshing, threshing floor. So here we see look, Boaz is looking out for Ruth, even in even in not wanting anybody to think badly about her. Because, you know, if I turned up at your house at five o'clock in the morning and I saw somebody of the opposite gender leaving, you know, I'm going to make some assumptions about what's been going on the night before. And so, Boaz is saying, look, you know, even though everything's above board, he's still going to send her off early in the morning so that nobody's even going to, you know, there's not going to even be rumours about what's going on. But before she goes, Boaz wants to give her like a down payment, a security To say look i'm legit i'm going to follow through and so he gets her to come over and he gives her some grain bring the garment that you're wearing and hold it out and she held it and and she he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her and then she went into the city so we don't know what the measure was but by some estimates they reckon maybe about 10 kgs uh, of barley so this is a big this is a big deal you know this is a, a large amount that basically says, look, I'm serious. I'm going to follow through with what I said I was going to do. It's a down payment on their future. And so, uh, Ruth comes back and reports to her mother-in-law. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? And then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these... Yeah, it's, it's on... It's, this is verse 15... You're, sorry, I just got turned around. Verse 16, how did you fare, my daughter? And then she told her about all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back to your, uh, empty-handed to your mother-in-law. So she comes back, she reports to, to mum and says, this is what's going on. But now they have to wait. They don't know what the answer's going to be. They've got, they've, they've, They've made the plans, they've put the plan into action, they've made their prayers, they're trusting in God, but now they just have to wait. They've done what they can do, and it's a waiting game. Naomi says, in verse 18, she replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So, Naomi has utter confidence in Boaz as a good bloke, he's going to go through, he's going to follow through with what he said he's going to do. But they just have to wait there's uncertainty and that's what it's like for us right here and right now god has promised look i'm going to do all these things for you i'm going to redeem you i'm going to save you but we're it's a waiting game we're not sure what's going to happen in the future we've asked many things of god that we don't know how they will turn out yet and but god has given us a down payment on the future God has given us a down payment on what he's promised to do. And there's two kind of main aspects to that down payment. He has given us Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And so when God promises, if you come to me, I will give you eternal life. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead is, is, is like a signal. It's a sign to everybody that God can deliver on that promise of raising people from the dead. And he can raise you from the dead too. And secondly, He sends His Holy Spirit. That's another down payment on His promises for the future. He's given us His Holy Spirit to help us, to prepare us, to lead us, to guide us, to encourage us as we wait for the day when all the promises are fully fulfilled. We're waiting for the fulfillment of our prayers to be rescued by our Lord and Saviour. Once we've done our bit, once we've done what God's called us to do, we trust and we wait. Let's all bring it to a close. I'll bring it to a close with the reminder of a few things. Firstly, that God answers prayer through your planning and actions. Don't just sit back and be passive in your prayers. If you've asked something of God and you know that it's something that God has promised for His people, then go out and take it, take hold of it in faith. We remember that God redeems his people. God has redeemed his church, just as Boaz went to redeem Ruth, Christ has come and redeemed his bride, the church, and he's washing her and preparing her for the marriage supper of the Lamb. But until that day, until we join with Jesus face to face, in the end of days, we have a down payment, and our down payment is in the form of the Holy Spirit living and working amongst God's people let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story. We thank you, Lord, for what it communicates to us about what you're like. But we thank you for the way that we see here just answered prayer. We thank you for the way that uh, you have provided for your people. You provided for Boaz and provided for Ruth, provided for Naomi. You heard their prayers and you answered them. We thank you for the way that you have redeemed your people through Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for us. We pray, Lord, that, um, that as, your, as your bride, as your, as your people who are being washed, that we might wait with anticipation, having the security that you have given us in the Holy Spirit. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.